You're listening to audio from the Decidedly Podcast. For more information, find us on Instagram at Decidedly Podcast. You know, I made a few good decisions, bad decisions this week. One good decision was to travel up to Jackson Hole, Wyoming with uh, Entrepreneurs Organization and uh, listen to some great speakers and uh, learn how to be a better business owner and get out of the heat in Texas. And that was a great decision. I uh, made a bad decision to plant some shrubs in the, uh, the other day in the middle of the heat. And they died the same day. Like they didn't even die the next day or the week of. They died the same day. It was horrible. So... <laughs> At least I can uh, be at peace knowing that they had a quick demise. But uh, so why do you listen to Decidedly? I know you listen to Decidedly to, to learn from experts in decision making. And we certainly have one today uh, that we talked with, uh, Professor Wendy Wood, who is a research psychologist who's devoted the last 30 years to understanding how habits work. She's a provo professor in psychology and business development at the University of Southern California, where she's also served as the Vice Dean of Social Services. She served as the James B. Duke Professor of Psychology and Neuroscience at Duke University. Uh, she's advised companies all over the world and published over you know, hundreds of scientific articles on the topic. So fantastic discussion. We talked about how the first thing we talked about is how habits impact our decision-making. Having good habits can help us make better decisions. Having bad habits lead to worse decisions. And we talked about the 21 days to change a habit and that, that that's totally just bunk. That is not even true. And we talked about adding friction to bad habits to make them more difficult and unappealing. We talked about not having habits can make us have impulsive decisions. It was a really wide ranging and interesting discussion. I learned a lot. I think you're going to learn a lot from listening. I am Sean Smith with Sanger Smith, and this is Decidedly. Wendy, nice to see you. Hi there. Hi, Wendy. <laughs> Good thanks to for, meet you. Thanks for coming and, and helping Sean with all his bad habits. <laughs> we, don't, we don't have time for that. We only have about an hour. It is true that other people's bad habits tend to bother us at least as much as our own. <laughs> at least, yeah. <laughs> uh, no, he's put up with mine for a lot longer. Well, Wendy, I'm, I'm really glad that you joined us. You know, as a psychologist who focuses on habits... I wanted to talk with you about decision making because when we when we look at habits, habits sort of exist outside our consciousness, but decisions are very intentional. And so I was wondering if we could talk a little bit about how you see the correlation between decision making and forming habits and how do you reconcile the fact that habits are sort of on autopilot and decisions uh, we have to sort of intentionally be aware of the fact that we're making them. Well, you're absolutely right. And that's something that many people don't understand about habits is that they are unconscious. They're part of a memory system that we don't really have access to. So they're not like our our feelings or our beliefs or the decisions we make. Instead, they are a memory system that picks up repetition what we've done in the past. So the more you repeat something, the stronger your habit's going to be, which, which makes it sound like they're probably just like the opposite of decisions, right? But they're not. They're actually 
Our habits underlie many of the decisions we make in life because our habits put us in certain situations. Our habits get us to attend to certain types of information. We talk to certain types of people. We focus on certain things. That's all a function of habit. And so habits are really important in decision-making. They determine what we make decisions about and what information we have. It seems like that we are built for habits because I, I think habits give you those heuristics, if you will, to where you can cut through a lot of the mental energy that formal decision-making requires. And I don't, I don't think we could actually go through our day if we had to make all the decisions, I'm going to decide which sock to put on, I'm going to decide then to put my shoes on, I'm going to decide how to tie this shoe. We need a lot of those habits for mental energy conservation, I would think. But my, my question is, if that's the case, how do, we, how do we build the best kinds of habits so that we're optimizing that habituality rather than having that be a negative? We, we don't want negative habits, right? <laughs> So how do we build the right kinds of habits? Although, to be honest, we all have habits that we wish we didn't have. We have ones that are really working for us and ones that don't work so well. I mean, that's just life, right? Um, right. But in, in the decisions we make, we want to be able to focus on the things that are most important. And as you say, habits streamline a lot of what we do. So there's stories, right, about um, President Obama. He used to have a certain number of suits that he always wore. Yeah. They were always the same color. Um, and Zuckerberg apparently has hoodies and T-shirts um, that he always wears. And when you ask them why, the explanation is, well, I don't want to think about trivia like that. I want to save my resources for important things. And so people are able to think through what they want to repeat automatically in life and set up the opportunity to form habits that will streamline their life and allow them to achieve their goals. That's where we have control over our habits, is we can actually, in a logical way, make some decisions about what we're going to repeat. So then we have a habit in a certain area. And then other things, you know, you don't want to repeat it too often because you want it to stay fresh and interesting and you want to have the mental resources to appreciate it or to make the right decisions. So all of this is sort of meta thinking about our lives, right? What do you want to streamline and never think about again? And what do you want to um, appreciate and make the right decision, right? And really think through. Yeah. So in some way, what you're saying is we can choose our habits, yeah. Uh, or we can choose the areas of our life that we want to put on autopilot is maybe that's more accurate. Yes. Once you realize how to form a habit and what habits are, 
then you can actually control them in a way, in okay, a way that so would be helpful to you. What are people missing when it comes to how to form habits or how to control habits? Because I hear a lot of, you know, little short quips like, oh, it takes uh, 21 days to form a habit or, it t you know, little like helpful tips. And everybody who always tells me these things, they don't have good habits any better than I do. Right? <laughs> it's like, oh, clearly this... This knowledge that you have is not that helpful. Right. Somebody's telling you that as you're smoking a cigarette and uh, yeah. eating a Twinkie. Yeah. yeah. It yeah. only takes 21 days to form a habit. So I'm going to, you know, I don't know, uh, exercise and eat a salad for every meal for 21 days. That's all it takes. And then we don't, I mean, we don't even do that. What I've seen is that you can, you can follow that sort of, standard philosophy that it takes 21 days to form a habit, you know, whatever, however long it First is. First of all, I don't even know if that's real. I don't know if that's true or not, but but if it is, how do we, you know, we, we've got to slip back. It, it seems like a lot of people slip back. Like there are people that diet, they get in, you know, eating right or working out or whatever, but then they'll, uh, they'll fall back into the previous habit. So how do we, is this 21 day thing a myth or is that true or what? It's completely a myth. It would be wonderful if it were true. I think, I think that it keeps getting shared because people are doing some wishful thinking, right? 21 days and whoa, you've done everything you need to do and life is gonna be great. Um, but habits are a memory system. And so things that are harder to do take longer to become a habit, right? I mean, just things that are tough, things that are difficult, take longer to learn. It's a pretty basic idea. <laughs> some things are easy, some things are hard. Are you, um, are you saying think... that based on the complexity of the habit you're trying to initiate, it may take longer or shorter than this time frame? Is that is that the point you're making? It will almost always take longer, but yes, okay. it can take a whole lot longer or only somewhat longer. But what are people missing? What do they not understand about forming habits? And how long it takes is one. But another is we think we form habits just like we learn anything, right? You sit down, you study, you think about it, you think about the reasons why you should do something. It's all very cognitive. But habits don't form that way. Habits are a memory system, as I said, that captures repetition. So you have to do things in order to learn a habit. And that's a very different way of learning. Well, yeah, it is. I, it, how do you differentiate between the, the good habits that you want to form intentionally or bad habits that form sort of more organically how do we prevent the bad habits from manifesting themselves and, and how do we encourage the good habits? Well, that's why I wrote my book is there actually is some good research data on this. And I kept hearing really silly recommendations in the popular media. And I wanted to get the research data out to people. So what research suggests is that what it shows is that our habits are very dependent on the circumstances in which we live. So we think we go to the gym 
for example, because we want to work out, we're concerned about our health, we are um, interested in being fit. Research has shown we're more likely to go to the gym if it's close by, if it's easy to get to, so that we can repeat the behavior and then it becomes a habit. People put far too much emphasis on willpower. Willpower is great if you're trying to do something once, but going to the gym once is not gonna make any of us fit. You have to do it repeatedly. And that's where habits come in. And habits depend a whole lot on our living context, the circumstances we're in. So the, the trick is figure out how to make it easy for yourself to repeat behaviors to become a habit. Okay. And is that, is that different for each individual? Is that, I mean, what do you mean figure out how it's easy to create a habit? Cause there's some habits I wish I had that I don't, I don't, good luck. I can't figure out how to do it. Well, well, there's, there's some simple, simple tricks. One is, Anything that takes time, that takes effort, and that requires you to travel some distance is going to make it less likely that you do it. And so it's going to be, make it less likely that you repeat the behavior so that it becomes a habit. I mean, we've all seen this in online shopping, right? Mm -hmm. As soon as you can buy something with one click, people are much more likely to buy it. If it takes two clicks or if um, sites take a long time to load, businesses lose customers. Yeah. So applying that to our own lives is really a way of understanding how to form habits. You need to make it easy to do the right thing whatever your current goal is. And that is the difference between good habits and bad habits. There's no difference in the mechanism. The difference, it's no difference in the psychology. The difference is in some habits meet our goals right now and some habits don't. And the ones that don't meet your goals, those are the bad habits. So when we have those bad habits, um, I think everybody has a bad habit that they don't like, whether it's, you know, smoking, spending too much time on their phone, watching TV at night with their dinner, whatever it is that then we don't want to do, uh, biting their fingernails. How do we stop those bad habits when they're really, really easy? It's so easy to keep going with a bad habit that doesn't have any distance, doesn't have any effort. You know, I mean, biting your fingernails, that's like the easiest bad habit of all time. I don't have to go find my fingernails and it's hardly any effort at all to just gnaw on them all day long. My recommendation is always that there are ways if you if you do an analysis of what your behavior is that you're trying to change, there are always ways that you can identify friction that you can put on that behavior. So, so people who have the worst nail biting habit and they just can't control it, 
What if they wore gloves? Gloves are something that makes it so you have to take the gloves off to bite your nails, right? I mean, it's even possible to control cell phone use. And cell phones are something that is a habit that a lot of people want to control. If you just take it and turn it off after you use it each time, that small amount of friction of effort, it doesn't have to be a lot, just a small amount. If you can make that your habit, just repeatedly turn it off when you're done using it. If you can just put it in a pocket somewhere when you're done so it's not so readily accessible, it doesn't sound like much friction and it doesn't stop you from using it if you have to. But what it does is it just makes it a little bit less likely so you gain a little bit of control over the behavior. Okay. And I, I know this doesn't sound realistic, but it actually was the basis for the most successful health intervention ever, which is smoking cessation. So how did we go as a country from 50% of us smoking and nicotine is highly addictive. In the last century, 50% of us smoked. Now only 15% do. That is a huge health shift. Mm. And one of the ways we did it was we started banning smoking in public places. So it wasn't so easy to just pick up a cigarette and smoke. We took packets off the shelf. So you can't just walk into a store and buy them. You have to actually ask somebody for them. We put taxes on them, so they cost more. So it's not as easy to buy a whole bunch of them when you go to the store. All of those things made it a little bit more difficult, didn't stop people from smoking, but collectively it reduced people's ability to smoke, the ease of smoking. And that's the logic that you want to use in controlling your own bad habits. Well, I, you know, I think when we look at habits, there are there, certainly if we put in friction in place of the bad habits we want to stop and put uh, more fluidity in, ter in terms of the habits that we want to try and establish, mm -hmm. what about putting incentives in place as well? Uh, micro rewards, big rewards at the end for different uh, milestones, things like that. Has that, how, how has that been proven effective or what, what did your research find? Yeah, great question. That is actually the other cornerstone of controlling habits and forming new ones is that we are more likely to repeat behaviors that we find rewarding. So if you want to start going to the gym and exercising more, if you absolutely hate it, there's not going to be a way that you're going to repeat it often enough to make it a habit. So find some other exercise or find something in the gym that actually is rewarding. I mean, I hate to work out on equipment in a gym. It's boring. It's tedious. It, it's soul destroying to me. But agreed. If you, if you watch TV or if you read trashy novels, that's my trick. Um, 
I don't have time to do those things normally. But when I'm at the gym, I'll let myself do it. And it's actually made it really kind of fun. So I have a pretty good habit right now of exercising by adding in rewards that I wouldn't have otherwise. But the trick is that the rewards have to be immediate. So the rewards can't be something that comes later down the line in three yeah. months when you start to... Yeah, because if that was the case, then we wouldn't need... We, we would all already be working out. Exactly. <laughs> we would all, all, already be having these good habits. We would all already be eating healthy. Because that delayed reward of, uh, you know, having a six pack, you know, five years from now would be enough. Um, yep. And that makes sense. And bad habits have an immediate reward. That's what makes them so easy to, to form. Um, and, well, you know, the problem is, is that our society is structured so that we have so many things that are not good for us that are immediately rewarding. Yes. So yeah. we form bad habits to use them, which is like the phone. You know, you can actually remove some of the rewards from using your phone by turning it to grayscale. Oh yeah, so I did that, that. I hated my phone. Yes, exactly. Have you turned yours to grayscale? How did that, did you? I hated it, I turned like it back. It's like, this thing sucks. It's not fun anymore. <laughs> yeah. It was just That's black and white. Was, yeah, there There was you no go. color. Um, why did you, why did you do that? Cause I thought, did you do I, that to try and reduce the usage? Cause Wendy told me it worked. And I was like, <laughs> Oh, you know, I think I read your article or something. And I was like, Oh, you know, that's a good idea. And I figured out how to do it. Um, app, they, all the texts, they hide that information. You go Google, try to, how to turn your phone to grayscale. And there's not, there's a YouTube video for how to screw in a dang light bulb. There's not a YouTube video for how to turn your turn the color off your phone. Yeah. The only thing uh, harder is removing Bing off your, uh, server. yeah. Those are the two things that you can't <laughs> yes. find any wiki how articles on yeah. is how to remove Bing as your default search engine on Microsoft edge. And then number two, second place close behind is how to remove the color from your phone screen. But I did it and it was, it sucked. I was like, why am I even looking at this? I'd, I'd look at my phone and I'd like be all excited to get that little dopamine hit from, looking at whatever stupid video. Did it help? Throw it away. Well, I, I, I don't know. Well, it well, helped no, too much because then I changed it back. back. <laughs> <laughs> like, I want this to be enjoyable. This is supposed to be, it, it's like if I said, oh, you know how you could stop uh, watching junk reality TV shows? Just turn the sound off. <laughs> how long are you going to yep. do that? You're going to be like, well, this is BS. I just turn the sound back on. It sucks. Get a black and exactly. white TV, right? Yeah. yeah. So you have to be you have to be committed to doing these things, and <laughs> yeah, you have you to know what you. I wasn't. <laughs> you have to know what you're willing to put up with and what you're not. <laughs> I want to go back to to smoking for a second because you mentioned a lot of things that are barriers to um, you know talking about creating barriers for ourselves to eliminate bad habits. Seems obvious how we've done that with smoking, right? You used to be able to smoke um, pretty much any, I mean, hell, in a plane, which exactly. seems psychotic. Um, yes, it does now. You used to be able to smoke everywhere, and one by one, those places got removed, and now you can't smoke anywhere in public. I mean, you can barely even smoke outside. 
Um, and but you said the tax as as one, um, which I'm I'm skeptical of that as a barrier because it seems like there have been other other places where our government or other governments have tried to impose that as a point of friction to eliminate bad habits. And so, um, I mean, we could look at drug laws, like there's a severe punishment for, um, possessing drugs and people are still doing it. And in fact, we've got certain drugs that are usage rates are increasing like opiates. Um, the Ming dynasty in China imposed a death penalty on cigarettes on, on tobacco possession. So if you had a cigarette on you, on your person, they would execute you. And people still smoke. That, oh, yeah. In Asia, they smoke like chimneys. I mean, yeah, it, it, that didn't they, solve anything. It didn't help anything. I, I realized Ming Dynasty was quite some time ago, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I don't mean, know I about marble, the patterns <laughs> in, in the Ming Dynasty, but I do know that... The kinds of penalties you're talking about are in the future, and they're probabilistic, ah. right? So you, when you're doing something, you're not thinking, oh, this is going to happen to me right now, which is clearly what happens with taxes. <laughs> taxes yeah. are right there when you buy something, and so you have to face them in the moment. Immediacy is really important for both positive and negative consequences. So wouldn't it be better than if we did a, a improved job at illustrating where the tax actually is and the total price? Like we do it for sales tax, but a lot of other taxes are kind of embedded, they're hidden, you know? Um, when I go buy gas, I don't know what, I don't know how much I pay in gas tax. I don't know. Well, I mean, I don't those, know are, those are immediate. I mean, the gas, I mean, the. The sales taxes and gas taxes are but my, my No, no, no. But my point is when you finish filling up your tank, you don't get a receipt that says you spent $45 on gasoline, $7 on sales tax, and $8 on gasoline tax. So you say it's not it's not transparent enough? Yeah, it's just in there. So what do I care? I just know I need gas, right? If I'm going to buy cigarettes, then I just pay 20 bucks and get some cigarettes. I don't know that there's yeah. – I don't know how much I'm getting screwed. I read a book called The Elements of Choice by uh, Eric Johns uh, and uh, Eric Johnson. And the he was talking about how we overweight the immediacy of rewards uh, and undervalue the rewards that are out in the future. And so I, I think you're right. When we look at creating incentives to establish good habits, if we can move up those rewards, those incremental rewards closer to the, the starting point, I think they're they're more beneficial. When I work with uh, people on developing plans for their uh, career development and things like that, I'll even set up goals or we'll set up goals together that might even look like just start this this book, you know, or just buy the book or just start, you know, pick a date that you're going to enroll in this program uh, and make those those choices more incremental and closer so that they can get some rewards that don't, whatever that dopamine hit, uh, the accolades from their their uh, manager or whatever, uh, closer to the beginning of the establishment of those habits. I found that's helpful. When when yes. you were doing when you, when you were doing the research on this, 
Was there anything that you found surprising as you were researching habits, things that you thought you would find out that you found out the opposite or anything like that? I think what surprised, what was surprising, initially at least, is how pervasive habits are in our lives. Because when we look at other people, we think, okay, some people are really successful. They have great self-control, great decision-making. They understand when to take risks, when not to. Um, they're doing the, all the right things. I'm also really Long good at Excel. Yes, there you go. <laughs> Another one. Um, but, but in actuality, we've learned people who have, who seem to have really good self-control, in fact, are acting on habit. They formed the right habits. So they're doing the Isn't things. They're just lucky. <laughs> well, yeah, luck sometimes <laughs> accounts for, for some things in life. But <laughs> people who are really successful also have really good habits. Like, let's take the um, something that's in you guys' domain. Um, financial decision-making. So right now the stock market looks like a disaster for most of us people close to retirement. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it could be a time to like just panic and retreat, right? Take everything out. And um, I'm, not, I'm not advocating this, but if you don't have the right habits, it could be a time when you act on impulse and emotion and just pull everything out of the market and try to look for something that seems safer. But we know over history, that's just the wrong thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. I think people understand the, um, they understand that academically, whether or not their behavior behavior reflects that. And so a lot of times I'll talk to people and they'll say, Oh, hey, Sanger, you know, what's going on? Like, I heard my friends talking about the markets. I'm not even going to look at my account. And I always tell them, well, they'll say to me, that's probably really bad. I know I probably should. I should probably check it a little bit more frequently. And I'll tell them, you know what? That's actually great. The fact that you have a habit of just looking once a month, yeah, that's good. I mean, obviously, if you ignore your money for years, Probably not a good habit. Probably we need to incorporate some periodic reviews in there um, to at least make sure that your identity didn't get stolen and that your money's still in, in the same account that you thought it was. But to have a habit of, of checking it twice a day every day, that's not good either. And that's going to yeah. lend itself to bad investor behavior almost certainly. Yeah, I think if you look at the the establishment of the habit of, of, of sort of checking in on the accounts, there is a frequency that's going to be optimal, you know, and, and too frequent is going to drive negative emotions and negative uh, reactions, bad decision-making, those types of things. And the, but I, I do think it's good to have a habit of some sort of regular check-in on those, uh, on your, mm -hmm. on your finances, on yeah. your account balance. I mean, well, you don't want to check in uh, if it's being managed uh, with properly, no regularity, but you a, don't want to check in with too much regularity. Uh, I, I think those could be a little bit less frequent than if you were self-managing, for example. What do you see people struggle with? They struggle with focusing externally 
on the environment. Understanding that just because they can check Robin Hood twice a day doesn't mean they should, right? It's easy <laughs> and it can become your habit very easily. But people look internally and think, I need to have self-control not to check Robin Hood constantly. Mm. But self-control is never going to last long enough. <laughs> Old habits will still be there long after your self-control is gone. So focusing on the context, your living context, is what's most important in forming a new habit. And people don't like that. They don't want to do that. They want to fix themselves. And they don't understand that the way to do that is to start with fixing how they're living. Well, of course, I would much prefer it, Wendy, if you told me that there was a magic pill. <laughs> that would be way, I would love, that'd be wonderful news to hear. <laughs> When, yeah. when you say fixing, when you say fixing how you're living, what do you what do you mean? Let's say, I mean, let's take the exercise example again, right? So you start thinking about all the reasons why you should exercise, and you muster your self control, and you make decisions, you make public commitments on social media to exercise more. All of these things are trying to keep yourself motivated and exert self-control. Instead, it would be more successful if you could figure out how to make it easier to exercise and how to make it more immediately fun. So enlist a friend, someone you like to talk to, to help, to, to, to hang out, take a walk with. Find a gym close to home. Borrow some of my trashy novels to read while you work out. All of these things <laughs> are things that you could do to change your environment. Put your running shoes right by the front door. Make sure that you have a gym kit that's always, always there, ready to go. All of these things are going to make it easier, make it more enjoyable for you to exercise they're going to work better than thinking about the reasons why you should do it because those are long term. Yeah. And people so you mean are not you're, you're talking about an, a, a holistic lifestyle change, um, not uh, it, not some magic little tip that's going to help me start going to the gym more or whatever the good habit is. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's really our habits are a function of our environment. So yeah, I noticed that like a lot of uh, there are bad habits that I'll have sometimes that um, once or twice I've had a bad habit that have um, <laughs> they'll they'll go away if I like go travel. Yes. Now there are good habits that also f go away when I travel too, right? Uh -huh. But there are bad habits that go away. I'm like, oh, you know what? I used to get you know a cookie every time I went to go get lunch, and now I'm tr I'm traveling so i'm not eating at the same cafe they don't have cookies here i'm not i'm not like missing out on my cookie it was really easy exactly. to not just get my cookie I, I found that the you know the the opposite you know it, or i don't know it's the same thing but in reverse <laughs> so when I, I was traveling recently and i had started 
this morning ritual because you know as we had talked with people i was finding there was commonality of people who had been successful in different areas who would get up in the morning and they would do certain things you know they would say all right i'm gonna meditate i'm gonna read i'm gonna work out you know whatever they were doing and so i had gotten into this ritual of doing that it was that habit was forming and then i went and traveled so i had a real disruptive schedule uh, a lot of things were, were, changed, were changed and i found it hard to maintain that habit yeah. In, in yeah, it's hard to maintain your just, habit when just you're like in what you were saying. Yeah, but it's easy, hard to maintain a, your good habits, but also easy to get rid of your bad habits. So maybe if you have a bunch of bad habits, uh, you got to move and quit your job, right? <laughs> right? <laughs> if, <Too> extreme. <laughs> well, if, I, I think you're Wendy Wood said, "Quit your job and move." Was that the advice you heard? Or yes. <laughs> I, I think you're making a, I, I think the case you're making is around the the environment can help form your habits, but you can't go changing your environment. Uh, there's a lot of lack of control that we have over our environment. I don't know. Right? Is there? I mean, there's got to be something that we can do without making a radical shift in everything. You know, throwing out everything that's important. There's got to be something we can do to change our environment, right? Exactly. I mean, we made choices to. Um, to, to live in certain places, we may not be able to change those choices, but we can alter small things in our environment. Putting running shoes by your door is not the same as moving, <laughs> but it could help you exercise. Well, that's, that's, that's a really good point. Yeah, that's a really, really good point. I just put my house shoes by the door. So when I come in, I'm done. I'm stuck. Okay, but so you what's, have a clean house. <laughs> there you go. What what's one what's a a bad habit that you think is most prevalent and hardest to break? Well, all you have to do as we started this by saying other people's bad habits are easiest to identify. <laughs> yes. All you have to do is look at Americans and see what challenges they have with weight control, diet and exercise. I mean, that's a real health problem for yeah. most of us. And that's an environmental thing. It's not the case that people in Europe are as fat as we are. <laughs> we have set up a, an, an environment where people drive everywhere. There's mm. food always available. We eat lots of junk food. I mean, we've done that to ourselves. So you can make small changes in that to improve that yourself. But I think it's going to take some policy decisions as well. I can empathize with that. I live uh, one stop sign away from my office and I drove here this morning. And that is not the, that's not the only time I drive. I drive every day. Could easily walk. So <laughs> well, I'm going to start, have... start putting my car keys in a pocket. There you go. I actually, I actually decided once when I, I spent some time in France and then when I came back, I decided I was not going to buy a car because I knew if I mm. bought a car, it's so easy to drive. I'd be back doing it again and I'd be lost. Sounds it sounds ridiculous to most Americans, but it worked. 
What would you say is the biggest single decision that we need to make if we're going to emphasize the establishment of good habits or ending bad habits? Well, let me tell you a story to illustrate. And it, and it really is, it's a rift on this environment thing. At one point, I had an opportunity to go to the Culinary Institute of America. And I got to go through the first week of training, which was amazing. It was such fun. If you like to eat, it's really a lot of fun there. The cooks learn in the first week is they can't just start cooking. They all want to jump in and do stuff which is just what we want to do when we change our behavior. We want to jump in and do something. Mm -hmm. But instead, they have to learn to something called mise en place, which is organizing all of the ingredients and the pots and pans they're going to need for the recipe before they even start. And they don't like it much. And... <laughs> They complain about it, but the instructors insist that they do it because it results in good cooking, good food. It gives them control over the outcome. And just in the same way, we can get control over our own life outcomes by organizing our environments in ways that support us. And give you another example. People who are really successful writers, they have habits to write, right? So they have places that they go, they have times of day when they write, they write for certain amounts of time or certain numbers of words each day. They don't always write good stuff. Right? Sometimes yeah. <laughs> it's junk. But they have a pattern, a habit that they have established that allows them to be creative. And that is structuring their environment so they have a place and a time to write. Yeah. And that's really the way to think about how to meet your own goals. Don't work on yourself so much. Focus on finding out how to make it easier and more rewarding to do it by changing your environment. That makes all the sense in the world. That makes that makes so much sense. Now, I really appreciate you sharing that, Wendy. I appreciate you being on the show today. I learned a lot listening to you. I thought of my own bad habits, and I feel a little bit more empowered to go tackle them now. Um, we'll work on Sean's later. So well, you can, can people... tell him all of his, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> where can people find you and, and connect with your work? I'm on LinkedIn and I'm on Twitter at Prof. Wendy Wood. Also, I'm on Instagram and I post a lot about habits. I like habit research, so I post a lot about it. Um, I also do a lot of work on, about, on habits, things like recycling, projects and I work for the CDC on people who are trying to handle diabetes, um, eating exercise. I love it. Thanks so much, Wendy. Thank you. Thank this you. Thank you. Fun.
you know, one of the most interesting takeaways I had in talking with Professor Wendy Wood was about how it is difficult to shed ourselves of negative habits if the negative consequence isn't immediate. If it's on down the road, we just we forget about it and we keep doing those negative things. And there is a there's a mental framework that we can use called regret minimization, where we think forward into our old age and look at evaluating decisions on am I going to regret missing an opportunity or am I going to regret uh, failing at, at something, an endeavor that I try. And so thinking forward of what your future self is going to appreciate that you did and how your future self is going to interpret your decision making uh, on down the road can really be a helpful exercise. So anyway, that was my takeaway. I hope you had one too. You just made a great decision to listen to this episode of Decidedly. Make another great decision and leave us a five-star review wherever you listen to podcasts. We appreciate your support. It helps others find our community and defeat bad decision-making in their own lives. For more daily decision-making insights, check us out at decidedlypodcast.com and on Facebook and Instagram at Decidedly Podcast. Thanks again for listening. I'm Sanger Smith, and this is Decidedly. Insights, advice, and comments provided by Sean Smith, Sanger Smith, and speakers identified as part of the Decidedly podcast should not be considered recommendations. Speakers not identified as members of Decidedly are expressing their opinion, and their statements should not be construed as reflecting the views of the Decidedly team. This podcast is produced solely for informational purposes, not personalized advice.